What's going on, everyone? Alex De Silva. I hope you are well and you're having an amazing day, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode. And today I have a great guest, Alex Carter, who is the founder of Reignite Pro, elite health coach, helping busy, successful professionals who want to look, feel, and perform at their best. Alex, welcome to the show. So good to meet you and have this opportunity to to talk to you today how you doing yeah good thanks alex thanks for having us on the show it's um it's a pleasure to be here and, and speak to yourself and and uh your, your listeners as well yeah fantastic i'm really looking forward to this how i always like to to start is to kind of open the floor to you to kind of open the door for you to to introduce yourself and i'd like to really kind of understand how you got into into what you do today and kind of what was the inspiration behind that? Yeah, absolutely. So I work as, a, as you said, an elite health coach or health and performance coach for uh, successful professionals. So most of the guys I work with, uh, and it, is, it does tend to be men uh, predominantly that I work with, are either business owners of six, seven, in some cases, eight figure businesses or they're um, successful professionals kind of in the corporate space. So they might be kind of directors, VPs, C-suite. And what a lot of these guys have in common is um, they've uh, done very well in their career. They're, they're sort of, um, um, their career's on an upward trajectory or, or they're happy with the level that they're at. And a lot of areas of their life, they've got tick boxes again. But for whatever reason, their, their health, uh, whether that be physical health, mental health, emotional health, or a combination of all three, isn't where they want it to be. Their energy isn't where they want it to be. And in some cases, things like their connection, their um, their their kind of family life isn't quite where they want it to be. And it's something that I um, have been, you know, I've been coaching now for, geez, must be going on five years now. Mm-hmm. I kind of started this as a bit of a side hustle. Um, I, I'd been a PT over, over a decade ago. So I got into um, uh, developing the body, understanding physical transformation, um i then kind of about 10 11 years ago started in the corporate world in in sort of um uh, management and then went on to sort of specialize in the product and tech field and it was about five years ago that i took a side step into coaching started to build that up on the side and um in 2021 um so height of the pandemic when everyone's kind of looking for security i thought actually you know what i'm gonna um going to sort of move into coaching full-time so that that is my uh, sort of full-time gig I, I run a, a coaching business uh, I also run a, a tech consultancy and just looking to set up a, a third business um, which is is sort of coaching but um, aimed specifically for corporates amazing incredible so so what a journey as well so far um, and doing it in the in the height of of the pandemic but with that I mean what made you because I think so many people you know, thrive for, for security, especially around that time, you know, security with family, security at work. What made you take that, that leap? So, uh, you know, I think to caveat, it's worth saying that uh, I had an element of security as in I'd built up some financial reserves so that it wasn't just a, okay, make or break. Um, you know, if, if nothing happens in the next month or two, um, you know, I, I don't eat, the family doesn't eat. It wasn't quite like that. Um, but at the same time, I, I kind of reached the point mentally where I wasn't, it wasn't, I was unhappy in what I was doing in the corporate space. You know, I had a, a good role, a good team, um, some good leaders around me, but it's from, a, I guess, a, a purpose, purpose-driven perspective that I probably wasn't living up to what I was 
um, what, what I was coaching, right, and, and telling people to do. And I wasn't quite walking the walk in the way that I wanted to. Um, so for me, it was kind of a, well, you know, let's give it a go, right? You've always got something to fall back on. If it doesn't work, you you can, so I, you know, the worst case scenario was the, for me was that I was going to go back to corporate. Now, uh, I know Tony Robbins would say, you know, if you want to take the island and burn the bridges, my approach was that I'm, I'm going to take the island, but, you know, there's a bridge there to go back if I need it, right? Mm. So I think it was a, a combination of um, having some some element of security, but at the same time, consciously choosing in which way do you want your life to go to and i think an example that i kind of use with some of my clients is um if you take maslow's hierarchy of needs right, to consciously think about what level are you operating at what what level are you at at the moment right so a lot of us were kind of um you know in the kind of pr- professional space we're maybe at the esteem level right but some guys and you know actually a fair few guys are kind of consciously or unconsciously at that self-actualization level and they're thinking maybe they're feeling something's missing and that's because they're looking for a wider purpose uh, to serve whether that be done through you know your profession or whether that be done kind of outside of it that was kind of what was missing for me was kind of purpose-driven entrepreneurship mm, yeah fantastic talk to me about your your four pillars of of transformation um, this is something that as I was kind of just doing some research on you, I know that this is, you know, the four pillars that you focus on when you're coaching and you're working with clients. And uh, as I mentioned to you before we, we we started, you know, these are pillars that for me, they're hugely important. And each one of them serve a purpose. You know, I, I understand that. And, and I tried with, with exercise and movement, which we'll get to. And I want you to just kind of dive deep in each, each one of them. But the one for me that I'd love for you to kind of just speak on uh, a little more was the nutrition part, because the nutrition part for me was where I struggled. And I think a lot of men also struggle with that. Um, you know, so I, I'd love for you to to sort of just kind of broaden what those four pillars are. And when we get to the nutritional piece, I'd like to, you know, just to kind of widen that a little bit, because I think there is so much confusion and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. There are so many different fad diets, you know, 30 day challenges. And, and there are things which, um, and I like what you said on, 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 in what you do, you know, that you help, um, you know, professionals to, to lose 10 to 20 pounds, you know, in 90 days. But what I love about what you say, which is something I always kind of aspire to as well is, you know, you have a 12 week program that you can work with for 12 years and that's one of the things that I loved about what you say, because I'm hugely passionate about lifestyle change, you know, the kind of long-term changes. So talk to me about these pillars and, you know, with everything that you do, how you kind of created that for, for longevity and something that can fit into, as you, as you sort of mentioned, busy professionals. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the first First thing to say on this is that the four pillars was born out of a necessity more than anything else. Um, when you're when you're a bit younger, in let's say your twenties, for example, and you don't have as many responsibilities, whether that be professional responsibilities, family responsibility, or any type of responsibility, right? Um, you tend to have more time available to you. So one thing that a lot of clients say to me is like. You know, I used to be, I used to be an, an athlete, or I used to be very fit. I used to know what I was doing, and that was because they could exercise an hour a day in the gym. Right? They would have time to prepare their meals. 
they would also have a little bit more kind of just time in general thinking time right so they wouldn't be doing things all of the time now they, they've kind of leveled up in terms of they've got more responsibility professionally on average i'd say that most of the guys that i work with probably are pushing at least 10 up to kind of 14 16 hours a day so time is a is a precious resource or, or how they've elected to choose to spend their time as a precious resource mm-hmm. um, they're also trying to then fit in some degree of social elements and also you know try their best where they've got families showing up with their family as well so the four pillars for me was a system to um you know all but sort of guarantee results or give a blueprint to achieve um results that can be learned in 12 weeks but sustained for 12 years plus right and the four pillars as as i kind of see them are that there has to be an exercise and movement pillar right we know that exercise and movement not only does it make you feel better right but from exercising you get like an endorphin rush you get a hormone cascade you start to to feel better in yourself there is um you know just from moderate amounts of exercise it's going to help with things like um your, your joints um building building muscle etc it's going to burn like a moderate amount of calories as well um but the the thing with a lot of exercise that uh, at least with the guys that i speak to is that they can sometimes approach it as like an all or nothing. So I have to be doing this for an hour or, or I'm just not going to do it at all. Or I'll do it for, you know, train for a marathon. And then when I've done that, just kind of go off the boil for six months or a year or longer. Mm. So exercise for me is kind of based around what I call anytime, anywhere, which is having routines and programs that work for any given environment. So if you're traveling across time zones or, you know, you're just tra- traveling in general, you find yourself in a hotel, you've got a short, sharp 10, 15 minute hit routine that you can do in the bedroom or some calisthenics right Mm -hmm. if you've got access to a gym and you enjoy going to the gym and you want to build some muscle cool you've got a program that kind of is designed for that if you're training for a specific challenge like a marathon you're going to be doing obviously sports specific training which is you know more uh more running but you probably want to um probably want to sort of um in addition to that you want to have some uh, gym-based resistance training for prehab and rehab so to mitigate the risk of, of any injuries yeah. so anytime anywhere um pulls together programs based on what you have access to in your environment what you like and enjoy and um, what's going to get you a result so that's kind of the the exercise pillar mm-hmm. um, nutrition is the is the second pillar um really like nutrition for me uh, I, I try and simplify it as much as possible Right. I'm not uh, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm a, I'm a qualified nutritional therapist. So I've done a fair bit of research on this um, tried and tested on myself and, mm-hmm. and over 100 clients now. And what I found is that there's, as you say, there's so many different diets out there. Mm-hmm. And the main problem for me with a diet is it presupposes a start and an end point. And at that end point, people revert back to uh, eating or drinking however they uh, they sort of ate or drank before right so they go on a diet they lose the weight and i've lost count of the number of times i've had a chat with someone and i'm saying you know how much weight have you lost and they're like 30 40 pounds i'm like awesome right how much you went up well you know this covid came along after that and i put it all back on it's like you know i hate to be harsh but you haven't lost the weight right mm. you've 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 lost it and you put it back on it's only really lost if you keep it off for good so the nutritional protocol that I use is more of a lifestyle routine. And I call it conscious consistency because mm-hmm. it's about, in the first instance, increasing your awareness or level of consciousness, right? Um, and then consistently putting into practice some small iterative changes. 
So in its really simplest form, conscious consistency is A, about balancing the energy equations, the law of thermodynamics, right? All Every single diet out there works on the presupposition of um, a calorie deficit, mm-hmm. right? Burning uh, more calories than you consume. Now there are, you know, there's levels to this and you can say, okay, well actually, you know, more complex molecules like protein and fats take longer to digest. So therefore, you know, they're, um, they make you feel fuller for longer and actually they're going to, you know, you, you probably want to um, overemphasize them versus carbohydrates, right? If you're trying to lose weight, mm-hmm. um, but the basic law of thermodynamics and the balancing of energy equations is the first part of conscious consistency. So if we can, like your total daily energy expenditure, how much, how many calories do you need to sustain your given body weight and given activity levels? Okay. Broken down into what we call basic metabolic rate. How many calories would you need to um, stay the same weight, right? Given no movement at all. So just for uh, all metabolic function, like digestion, respiration, et cetera. And then your active metabolic rate, how many calories needed for movement? So once I've got all of that, I then take a calorie deficit. And if I can sustain that, right? I can get someone to lose weight by eating just McDonald's. Mm. But the, the, the crux is you don't want to be eating just McDonald's, right? It's not going to, it's not going to make you feel good. It's not going to give you a lot of energy. It's not going to be uh, healthy. It's not going to help with um, longevity goals. Right. So the second part is about how do we, how do we taking, taking what we know of you eating at the moment, how do we make small iterative changes to your lifestyle and the way in which you eat? that help give you more energy that start making you feel better and that help with goals like longevity right and this is you know where the sort of nutritional science comes in we start looking a little bit about macronutrients we start looking at a little bit about about things like uh, metabolic typing for example Mm -hmm. but again we're not um, we're not trying to boil the ocean we're not getting into huge depths of micronutrients because most people just don't need that level right now there will obviously be people with specific medical conditions that will but you know, eighty to ninety percent of the population don't need that level of nutritional complexity, and that's where diets and you know people saying, "Well, you need this many macros." That's where it can get confusing. Mm-hmm. If you can eat a calorie deficit, you can keep protein high, right? That's that's the, that that will get you eighty to ninety percent of the way. Right? So mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the second pillar. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if sort of that, anything else you wanted to talk about. That yeah, just on on the nutrition part because you you touched on something that I, I actually wanted to ask around getting more protein in, in your diet. So for your everyday man who who's listening to this, who, you know, who goes to work, has a family, comes home, what does that look like without really having to, you know, to to weigh a, you know, a, a chicken breast, a, a piece of meat and having to eat X amount and, you know, I have to get, you know, um, X amount of calories per body weight. Without it being so complicated, what is in in your experience you know, what's a healthy amount of, of protein that somebody should be getting? And if they want to have it, as you mentioned, um, you know, a, a nutritional diet where they can be flexible, you know, if they want to then go into that calorie deficit, you know, it's something that they, they can, and they just want to be able to enjoy life, enjoy food. Um, what would that kind of look like if it's just to kind of give someone a little bit of peace of mind and how would they be able to, to work that out, um, in an easy, simple fashion. Okay. So I think the first thing to say is um, 
there's a great tool for this, right? That your listeners could go away and use. And this is something that, that I use with a lot of my clients. Um, it's a, a macronutrient calculator put together by a guy in the States who is a, a great source of information for me. Um, and uh, it's called Legion Athletics, okay, mm-hmm. by a chap called Michael Matthews. So he sort of breaks down a lot of the what do you, what do you, how many calories should you be eating based on your age, uh, your height, and your weight? Okay, so you can work out, okay, how much, how many calories do I need to take off that to eat a calorie deficit to hit my weight goals? But specifically in terms of protein, um, everyone's different, right? But the the way I treat it with most of my clients is to try and get them up to eating 100 grams of protein. Now, irrespective of the weight that you weigh, um, 100 grams is kind of like the minimum where we want to be aiming for, right? Unless you're doing specific, um, you know, physique transformation or something like that, right? Where you might want slightly more than this. We want to try and get you to about 1.4 to 1.8 grams per kilo of body weight, okay? So I do this in stages, I get everyone to towards 100 grams. And if you, if 100 grams is um, still a little bit confusing, like what does that look like in terms of, um, Mm. you know, needs or examples, you know, one chicken breast is anywhere between 25, maybe up to 35 grams of protein, depending on size. An egg, right? And the protein comes from just the white part of the egg is about eight to 10 grams of protein. Okay. Um, there is protein in small amounts of protein in certain vegetables. So specifically in things like peas and sprouts, you can mm-hmm. get protein from that if you're a, a sort of non-meat eater. But to get 100 grams, you might want, for example, two to, you know, if you were just using this, two to three chicken breasts and an egg. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. kind of going to get you towards your protein goal. Mm -hmm. Now, once you've kind of got to 100 grams, I try and get my clients up to 120 to 140. And to be honest, that's where most people tend to, uh, I I call it tapping out, right? Like to get them towards the 1.8. But actually, in terms of sustainability and lifestyle and what people like to eat, it can be quite difficult to go above and beyond that. That being said, if you're, you know, a natural sort of protein type and, you know, you tend to eat more keto, which is kind of more protein and fats anyway, that's probably easy for you and you can go up towards that kind of 1.8 per kilogram of body weight. But that's kind of a rough litmus test, I'd say. Mm, Yeah. And that's something which I think this is where it it can get quite confusing for, for some people. Is to, and I remember for me when I kind of went into this journey, I always struggled with my weight. I suffered with addiction, you know, for for a long time, and and one of my biggest uh, problems was food, because you know I kind of bounced up and down with with weight, and you know one minute I'd just you know balloon, and then I'd kind of which is exactly what you mentioned before, you know, just consistently I'd be. I think at my worst, I was probably about 16 stone. And and then I kind of then plummeted down to probably about 11. And, you know, and then I sort of stayed in between, but I was always kind of very up and down. And over the last few years, I've been very consistent. I've kind of been at 85 kilos, you know, for the last few years because I've learned to, to dial it in. And I learned what worked for me. And I've tried being veggie. I've been a vegan for years. And recently uh, I, I grew up in Brazil. So I've always eaten meat. That's something that was always part of my, my diet. And I found kind of just a carnivore style of, of eating a little bit of kind of keto, but not to the point where, which I think some people can, can get a little bit, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, 
just very you're either all or nothing you know you're either all keto or you're all veggie or you're all um vegan and i think it can just become a little bit of just there's no flexibility there's nowhere to move and that for me was something where i struggled because every now and then if i want to have a bit of ice cream with my children if i want to go and get a brownie i want to feel that it's okay you know and and i've seen it even on on social media especially where there is this this all or nothing you know with 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 nutrition and um I get it, I think, to a certain extent, and I love your opinion on this, especially with the way society is at the moment, with obesity, especially amongst men. You know, that's something that's completely, you know, um, gone through the roof. How do we how do we help people in a simple way? And I know you mentioned there about, you know, just even the one thing that you want to simplify, if it's just getting enough protein in your diet, you can then be a little bit flexible if you're on a on a on a bit of a calorie deficit. As you mentioned, you can still then lose weight if you then apply that movement or, or exercise to, you know, to your day-to-day life, right? Um, but how do we tackle, and I'm sure you may have asked yourself this question as well. This is something that I'm always thinking about. How do we help society to simplify nutrition? You know, your everyday mum and dad, you know, with children, even with, with my own children, we always try to kind of teach them and then get them to understand foods. My daughter's four and she's always asking me, is this healthy? Am I allowed to have this? And, you know, and I try to, because again, you can, you can very easily traumatize children, you know, and, and get them to have a, a problem with food, which is something that I did. If you don't teach them and get them to kind of understand, you know, um, flexibilities of of nutrition i mean is this something that you you can speak on a little bit and then maybe bring some of your own experience and knowledge around this yeah absolutely so i think the reason or this is why i believe uh the predominant reason why we're also confused is because we've got uh, a fitness industry that is a multi-billion dollar industry but is actually designed not to get you to lose weight is to get to you to lose weight and then put it back on again mm. right and to confuse people it's the same with why do we not why do we not cure diseases in the healthcare industry we treat them because it's far more profitable to treat someone than it is to cure them right so big fitness puts out a lot of conflicting evidence-based studies Right, which is quite difficult to understand. You know, for, for example, you know, um, a lot of studies point to a plant-based diet being healthier um, for you in terms of your overall physical health and longevity. Right, and there's a lot of studies that support this. That being said, those studies tend to compare, you know, consumption versus general meat, and we know in a, a lot of general meat, non-organic meat. There's a lot of hormones that go into um, the, the meat they're injected in. There's a lot of um, antibiotics that are given to, you know, larger like cows, for example. Um, so actually you're comparing apples and apples and pears. Mm. What might be some better studies is actually to compare people that eat meat, right, in moderate amounts and, and have a more of a flexible, flexible diet with those people that just eat uh, a plant-based diet that will give you a more accurate representation. So I think the first thing to say is there is confusion out there. And I believe that confusion is meant to be intentional. 
for me, what I found personally to work for me, right, and to work for, you know, the, the, I think it's about 121 clients that have come through at, um, the, the Reignite Pro program um, at the moment, um, is, is a few simple things, right? So try and get protein in with every single meal. It doesn't need to be animal protein, right? If it is animal protein, try and make sure it's organic where possible. So for mm -hmm. me, that means that when I eat out, I try and eat predominantly, not all of the time, but predominantly plant-based because I don't know where the meat's coming from, right? Mm -hmm. But when I eat at home, I'll eat predominantly meat because I do know where it's coming from. But I'm always thinking, where is my protein coming from? So that's the first like level of consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, we're taught, first of all, we were taught that fat was bad, right? So you, right. You yeah. in the, the 90s, it was like everything had the fat taken out and even early noughties, right? And then it was like sugar. Like I try and approach this as I will have carbohydrates in my diet, but I will have, and, and by carbohydrates, I'm talking here about like more starchier carbohydrates, like your rices, your pastas, your potatoes, which tend to be higher calorie. I will tend to have these, either just before or just after exercise. Right? Mm. And outside of that, I will try and eat a predominantly um, towards sort of keto. That just means, you know, more fats, more proteins. And I tend to find that this works for, this is, this has worked for everyone that I've coached, right? Sometimes if you've got someone with a specific, you know, they're choosing to eat vegan, um, it can be a little bit harder. You've got to have some more flexibility in there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you've got to have, have some additional supplements as well, right? Um, but those are just the, the basics that I'd say. So protein with every meal and your starchy carbohydrates just before or just after exercise. And the reason why I'm saying just before, or just after exercise is if you have them before, your body has about 90 minutes worth of glycogen stored in it and stored in the muscles and the liver. And once it uses that up, right, it can, it sort of taps into its fat stores, right? So you have carbohydrates just before exercise to make sure your muscles are primed and your liver is primed, ready to perform at higher intensities. And then after exercise and studies vary for this, right? But mm -hmm. the, the, the studies that I've read suggest that up to about four hours afterwards, your body is more efficient at breaking down carbohydrates and shuttling them back to the working muscles, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why I say, you know, about uh, an hour or two before exercise and, and then sort of up to four hours afterwards. Outside of that, I'm trying to eat predominantly sort of fats and proteins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting and, and very similar to, to to me. One of the things I've been trying over the last, let me say, couple of weeks has been intermittent fasting, um, and just seeing how that has 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 worked for me. Because one of the the areas for me that I've struggled a long time with, and that's the reason why I tried different diets and tried different nutritions and read books and you know and, and tried so many different ways. Is my stomach. I've always had kind of issues with 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 my stomach. So certain foods, I get inflammation, so on and so forth. So it was kind of just trying to find something that helps me with with that. But I'm getting the right nutrients, protein, carbs, fats, and I started trying out this intermittent fasting. So they're like sixteen eight. So I usually eat around twelve, and then I've got my window because I obviously have children. The latest I can probably eat is about eight, um, eight o'clock. So I give myself that bit of a window because otherwise I'm just going to try and cram it all in. Um, and I found it's kind of been working quite well for me. I've I've, I've definitely seen, you know, a, a bit of a change. And one of the things that has also helped me 
is making healthier choices, especially in the evening where if I'm eating late, we put the kids to bed and then you kind of have that, you know, personal time. I have personal time with, with my wife and maybe we're watching TV or we're having a conversation and every now and then, which I think happens with most families, kind of like, oh, I quite fancy a bit of a snack. And usually I would either grab a chocolate or ice cream, which obviously that's no good for, for, for me from a nutritional perspective, but also for my stomach. So I started to change that, you know, have some fruits, kefir yogurt kind of works for me quite, quite well. And, and um, I've been trying that. What's your, your recommendation? What's been your experience about intermittent fasting? Cause that's something I've been seeing quite a bit as well. And in kind of trialing and testing over the last couple of weeks, I've actually seen that my energy levels haven't changed, haven't dipped massively. The one thing I had to to notice was my patterns of behavior, um, which I needed to kind of just be aware of. But if anything, for me, that was that was great because I was able to to just be more mindful and conscious of ah, that's addiction. You know, that's me wanting to have something when actually I'm not really feeling it. And once I started to kind of sit with it more, I actually realized that because I've been fueling my my body in that window of time, um, I'm still getting everything that I need, you know, and 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 I'm still being able to to train, to perform, to focus, um, you know, in 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 a great way. What's been your your sort of experience, and what are your thoughts uh, around intermittent fasting? I think you, you've um, made a really insightful point there, and that's. Once you find something that works for you, and it is a bit of trial and error for people at first, but once you find something that works for you, you know, stick to that, right? Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's not broken, don't try and change it. And so intermittent fasting for me, um, and, you know, basically intermittent fasting in its simplest form, right, is not eating for a period of time. So most people tend to eat from, you know, when they wake up in the morning. So let's say, you know, as early as kind of 6, 6.30 until maybe, you know, uh, 10 o'clock, right? So it's quite a long period where people's digestive systems will be working, right? Um, and, we're, and we're always putting food through them. And if you imagine eating your last meal at 10 o'clock and then going to bed straight afterwards, digestion takes anywhere between two to three hours, right, for the average person. And so what you're asking your body to do is to digest all the food, but at the same time, you're saying, hey, I want to rest and relax right, and recuperate. Mm-hmm. Now, the body can't go through its, its kind of three main cycles um, during, during sleep, um, which is physical repair, mental repair, and immune system repair, if there's food there. right? So you may notice this. This may kind of um, show up as brain fog or feeling sluggish in the morning. Mm-hmm. So a real simple rule for me in the evening is have your last meal two to three hours before your head hits the pillow. Right. And for me, that's about 10 o'clock. So I try and make sure where possible that my last meal is at eight o'clock. Right? Mm. It doesn't always work. Sometimes you're going to be traveling. Sometimes you're going to be busy. Sometimes you're going to be out socializing. But as a general rule of thumb, that's kind of my last meal. Now, intermittent fasting, you know, I think is a great tool for the majority of people. If um, if you want to have uh, if like weight loss is your goal, right? because you're going to reduce the amount of calories. You imagine most of the clients I coach, their breakfasts are anywhere between 350 up to six, 700 calories. Mm-hmm. You imagine reducing that, right? it takes that out the window. So I personally use this at the weekend, right? I tend to intermittently fast at the weekend, um, just so that I've got more calories 
for the evening, whether it's alcohol, whether it's like an evening meal out, I want to save my calories for the mm. um, for that part of the day, right? Mm. So I think it's a great tool. Um, however, I don't think it's a good tool necessarily for everyone all of the time, right? Should you be skipping, you know, in inverted commas, skipping breakfast and not eating until like 11, 12, if you're hungry, right? If, um, you know, we've got two hormones called leptin and ghrelin. Ghrelin is like the hunger hormone. Leptin is like the satiety hormone. Mm -hmm. And most people, if they have a, a diet that's um, rich in processed carbohydrates, they're what we call leptin insensitive. So the leptin doesn't bind at the hypothalamus and it doesn't give the signals that actually, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm full, basically. Mm -hmm. okay, so you don't want to eat more. So if, what eating in a predominantly keto way helps with is leptin insensitivity. So it allows leptin to rebind to the hypothalamus and then it allows the relationship to leptin and ghrelin to work properly. So I think in summary, like it's a, it's a great tool. Um, it should be used, um, you know, kind of at the right times, right? For me, it's the, it's the weekend. I don't do it in the week. Mm -hmm. And I think um, you can extend intermittent to to what we would call fasting. And for me, the, the kind of difference is intermittent is, you know, less than a day. Fasting is more than a day. So I've just come mm -hmm. off a two day fast and I always find like the first day is is hell past lunchtime. Mm -hmm. I get hungry. Right. I get emotional because we often use food, myself included, mm -hmm. to suppress emotions, particularly mm -hmm. as men. We feel something, we, we don't want to feel it. So we eat to distract ourselves and it produces, uh, you know, dopamine, serotonin. So we feel better in that moment and it masks mm. it. What fasting does is it removes that distraction and it actually allows all those feelings to start coming back up again. But if you push through that and on the second day for me, it's like, I felt fantastic. I didn't wake up feeling hungry. I had more energy. And I think, you know, I've read a few studies to reflect this. You know, I haven't done a, a ton of research in it, but I've done a, a fair bit of reading. And it's to suggest that when we were, when we were sort of, you know, uh, years and years ago, when we were sort of in, in sort of caveman times, if we, we, we would sort of have a, a sort of feast and famine, feast and famine, right? Mm -hmm. When we were hungry, we would have to have a reserve of energy to like instill ourselves to go up and look for food. So through fasting, that's one of the things that it does, right, is you actually are able to tap into more energy because not all of our energy comes from food, right? We, we uh, get energy from, we actually go through the first phase of um, photosynthesis, for example, mm -hmm. to get some energy. We get energy from a, from a whole ton, ton of um, reasons. But I think um, as, a, as a practice, fasting, I would encourage everyone to try it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and into intermittent fasting, I would, uh, I would say experiment with it, right? If weight mm -hmm. loss is your goal, try it on days when you're going to have more calories. Mm -hmm. um, if you're hungry in the morning, you know, you don't have to use it. Mm. I love the, the, the fact that you talked about fasting. That's something I, I have tried as well, um, just water fasting. That's something which, uh, when you talked about it being quite tough, I think we did three days. And um, that first day, as you said, is, is tough. And, but, you know, the second day starts to get easier. Third day, I just felt not, I was going to say empty, but full at the same time because I, I had energy. I felt good, but I also felt clear and clean. And when I then, carried on sort of just go when I went then back into in, into consuming food it's almost like my body was processing that food so much more efficiently and and because I was eating the right things as well 
my body was was really utilizing you know everything that it needed to in order to to help me perform better in mind body and spirit um and i what did i wanted to ah i wanted to actually ask your your opinion on as you mentioned about doing fasting how often do you fast and how often i guess would you recommend somebody fasting if they wanted to 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 introduce that into their into their routine it's uh, again a good question and i think i'll give you like a general answer and then i'll kind of say like when you wouldn't want to follow this mm-hmm. okay so i think um fasting is it like fasting is a great tool for helping with um, what we call like cell turnover so cells within the body and also within each cell we've got like the you can think of them as the batteries of the cells the mitochondria so again when you're not constantly putting food in what happens is all of your digestive system has a chance to actually replace the the damaged cells in there and replace the worn out mitochondria right um so when we talk about more energy one of the reasons for that having more energy is you're not constantly in digestion mode and also the mitochondria that you've got which are the batteries of the cell are getting like you know a new lease of life so Mm. to speak so i tend to follow a rule where i'll do like a i'll tell you what i what i do uh, what i actually do and what i'd like to do right Mm -hmm. um what what i actually do is i tend to do like a a 48 hour fast or maybe like a you know slightly longer than that up to kind of um, 76 hour fast um every two months I'd like to do that every month, right? Mm-hmm. But I actually end up doing it every two months. And then intermittent fasting, I personally do this most weekends because mm-hmm. I want to have calories, as I said, kind of lunch and dinner and going out socializing. I've got clients that um, sometimes they'll do it most days, right? Just because they want to have a bigger dinner, right? Mm-hmm. So we look at calories, not in terms of necessarily daily calories, like if you're bodybuilding short, you kind of need to have really set sort of regimented amounts of protein per meal, et cetera. But if it's just about kind of losing weight, feeling in shape, building a, a moderate amount of muscle and, and, you know, feeling good in yourself, looking, feeling, performing best at, at your best, then we, we look at things in terms of weekly calories. Right? Mm-hmm. So what is your weekly calorie goal? And you may undereat during the week and overeat during the weekend. That's actually how most people tend to do it. Mm. But as long as you're still eating in an overall calorie deficit, then you're still going to lose weight. Mm. No, brilliant. Brilliant. And I'd like to sort of get into the high performance routines and obviously the lifestyle changes, which is kind of number three in your uh, four pillars. High performance is something which I love. And it's something that I'm interested in. So I really love you to, to kind of talk on this. But more importantly, with the clients that you work with and how can a listener, because again, and I would love for you to clarify this, when people talk about and think about high performance routines and these kind of lifestyle changes, automatically a lot of people think about athletes they think about the elites they think about people who are rich famous and you know these people are high performance which i know and understand as far from the truth but i'd love for you to kind of give some context around that and and what that kind of means to you how you teach it and you know how that then kind of reflects on on the people that you're you're working with in their day-to-day lives I think to start with let's define what what i mean by performance right because mm-hmm. it's quite a broad term 
And I agree with you. It conjures up quite often the in your mind's eye the visions of athletes and elites, and and it doesn't need to be right. Mm. But performance, as I see it, is kind of three factors. So you've got there has to be sort of a health and fitness component to performance, right? The people that are performing at the top of the game, whether it's business, whether it's in the athletic field or, or any type of endeavor, there is a health and fitness element to it. But there's also a mindset and motivation component to it. right? And finally, there is a personal development or personal or professional development to it. Right? Personally, learning more about yourself, your values, your um your your self-limiting beliefs stuff about you and then professional development making sure that you know everything is tying together to allow you to get to where you want to and what i find is that when we tackle these three areas simultaneously your performance increases right and performance can can be one of two things right performance at work in terms of how much you get done how productive you are how efficient you are how um uh, how integrated you are as a leader right or if you look at it outside of the professional um, space, your performance increasing probably means introducing better work-life boundaries. So things like happiness, things like well-being are higher up in terms of your um, how you feel about yourself. So that's kind of like how I view performance. Now, how do we start to shift it? And most guys um, that I speak to, you know they're they're high performance, right? In terms of workspace, so they might sometimes be operating at a ten out of ten. But other days they operate at a three out of 10, other days are five. So they constantly yo-yo like this. And that can lead to inconsistency either at work, right? Although they're doing well, it can lead to inconsistent sort of uh, bouts of performance where a lot of the senior leaders I speak to say that they're doing well. You know, if we have a score of one to five, they're maybe getting twos out of five in like their APRs, Mm -hmm. but they're maybe not doing the transformational part of the role because they haven't got the energy to do it, Mm -hmm. right? So that's kind of like the first part. And I think, how do we shift it? It's it's through um, a number of uh, activities or routines that I, I get my clients to do in the morning and sometimes in the evening so that you're consistently showing up at an eight, nine or 10 out of 10, right? Because sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, let's go, right? Other days I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's not great, right? And if anyone's had, you know, wakes up with a, I call it like rusty nails where you're not hung over, but you've had some alcohol, you're not going to be fired on all cylinders. So what can you do to change your state so that you do start firing, you know, at least an eight out of 10? Mm. Well, things that we, again, we use a, a sort of pyramid here where we look at like physical elements, mental elements, and emotional elements. So it might be working out a morning routine where you do some morning movement, right? So a combination of some calisthenics, right? Just for 10 to 15 minutes to um, spike your um, spike your testosterone, right? And decrease cortisol right? and burn a few extra calories. Mm. We then might get you meditating so that you start to get clarity on what some of the outcomes are right, of the day and you start to sense yourself. And then we change your state through possibly some affirmations, right? Or we change it through some commitments, or if you're just super structured and you don't want to bother with that, that's not your kind of boat, it's making sure that you have your day planned out, right? So you understand every all of the meetings that you've got, what are the inputs to those? Do you have those ready? Does your team have the inputs ready? In the spaces you've got, have you got your to-do list mapped in and time boxed against that? And have you got a very clear idea of anything outside of where other commitments? So I call it, you know, one of the tools we use is three alarms. Right, an alarm to wake up in the morning, an alarm to stop work, and an alarm to go to bed. 
right? So a combination of these tools and finding out what works for you allows you to build a morning routine that doesn't take ages, right? No one that I coach has got time. I imagine, Alex, you're, you're a busy mm-hmm. guy as well. And I imagine a lot of your listeners are, are busy guys, right? So it's not something that needs to take an order amount of time. Most of the morning routines can be done in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then in the evening, you know, things that we sometimes do in the evening are, and I know this is a, you know, one of the things that you're passionate about is some breath work, right? Just mm-hmm. some basic work practices to start to calm yourself and go from um, switched on to switched off, right? Mm-hmm. So the mind's racing all the time. And also simple things like stoic journaling. So starting to ask the question, like, what did I do well today? Where did I kind of fall from grace? What can I do better? Now, as you put these together in a system, it starts to form what I call like a high performance lifestyle system. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the the third pillar. Yeah, I love that because a lot of the things that you you mentioned on there are a part of my daily practice. And one of the things and i'd love to get your view on this because sometimes i think am i just being harsh or or it's just how how i am as a person and i always find and and i say to people listen i I think and you talked about you know some of um some of the people that you work with and i worked with, with some people as well who who just don't have the time they are very busy in what they do whatever it is business family and trying to just juggle and spin all the plates sometimes these things are hard one of the things that I have found, you know, in, in my practice when I'm working with clients is a lot of the times we all like to eat a little bit too much of our own bullshit. And we do like to make excuses sometimes, you know, and and yes, we are busy and there are things that we need to do. But where is the priority here and where should we focus? Because if as you mentioned there, sometimes when you're looking at different pillars, you know, of, of life and the things that are important for me, one of the things that I I've understood is in the end, when we kind of take that last breath, none of these things that we're even this isn't really, I can't take any of this with me. This is something beautiful, powerful that we get to knowledge share and leave behind, but it doesn't come with me. And one of the biggest lessons I found in in the breath work, in plant medicine, in all the years that I've kind of been going through my own personal and professional, you know, healing, um, I've discovered that the number one force here is me. And I have to learn to put I first. And this is where sometimes I have to say to clients, is this just bullshit? Are you eating too much of your own bowl or can you actually make some time for yourself? Can you actually apply, as you said on there, because a lot of the times is I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to journal. I don't have time to do this. But I'm like, but you've got time to consume copious amount of alcohol. You are overweight. You're pretty much killing yourself. Your mental health is massively suffering. And here is where we find that balance. Where do you want to give? And where I think, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, where do we push and where do we just allow people to have their own experience? If that kind of makes sense, because sometimes I've also, I've also find that as a, as a coach, you know, we don't want to, we want to encourage and kind of drive people in, you know, and sort of point them in, in the right direction and mentor, but also there is time. And I think as any good coach, you, you do have to, to be open, honest, and then very realistic about, you know, where, 
where the client is. If the client is entrusting me with 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 getting them to, to that peak performance, to get them to lose weight, to help them, do you think there is a, a time and a place where, you know, we should be calling people out and saying, look, you know, why aren't you putting these things into place, you know? And, you know, and um, what's the, the, the sort of the question I'm, or the point I'm trying to make is, I think in, in trying to get people to, to to understand the the benefits of these practices, you know, as much as all the materialistic things and all of these things are a bonus, you know, first and foremost, we should always put ourselves first. Does that kind of make sense in what I just said? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think there's two sort of key points here. One is um, some guys I do, some, some guys I coach do this, right? And that is, uh, they will put themselves first, but most of the guys I coach will, um, they'll put their families first or they'll put their work first. And so what's left over at the end of the day is a very small amount of energy for them. And the subtle inflection I try to take everyone through is you're the, the one central thesis in everything in your life. You're the most important part. You're the central pillar, mm. right? So if your cup is constantly running on near empty, everything else is going to suffer. Whereas if you can top up your own cup first, everything else around you is going to benefit. And whether that be, you know, how you show up with your kids, whether that be how efficient and productive you are in your job, whether that be, you know, uh, being um, a joy to be around for your friends, right? All of these other areas of your life will benefit. So I think the first thing is do focus on, on you first. It's not selfish. Actually, it's, it's unselfish, right it's 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 almost selfish to not put yourself first right mm. because everything else suffers and i think the second thing to mention is when coaching someone and this is just in my experience right so you know there might maybe sort of different views to this but i always ask for permission you know in the first session or two to call someone out so i'm like would you mind like as we go through this if if i feel like you're saying something that maybe isn't true or, or there's some partial intruths in it or, or if it's just plain bullshit like do you mind if i call you on that is, is that okay and you know almost everyone says yes in fact everyone says yes right? no one says and then my view is that as a coach i'm there as a mirror right to mm. hold up to that person and sometimes high performing guys they beat themselves up so the client this morning he like did all of the things we set as like focus areas but he was beating himself up because like one of the things um, he didn't quite do as well as he wanted to. Like, dude, you've got nine out of 10 things done, right? This is, this is good. Let's celebrate the wins, right? So it's a reflection. And rather than like focusing in on the one negative, let's celebrate the nine wins, right? So it's kind of like putting a, a metaphorical arm around someone. Mm. But at the same time, as a coach, you have to be able to hold people's feet to the fire because if they're coming in week after week and, you know, no one else can hold them to account, they're, you know, CEO, for example, they've got a very sort of dominant character, very alpha character. You're one of the only people in their sphere of influence that can hold them to account. So if they've, if they've committed to doing something and they're not doing it, you know, excuse my French, but I'm like, why the fuck are you not doing this? Like, mm. You said you want to do it. Like, what's it going to be like if you continue to do that? What sort of example are you setting? Right. So I think it's a, for me, at least it's a balance of like putting an arm around someone and then holding their feet to the fire. Mm. Yeah, I know. I agree completely. I think it's, it's so important 
to be able to, as you mentioned, hold that mirror. And not from, from an egotistical place. I'm the coach, you do as I say. In fact, from a very loving way, you know, from a very caring way to to one of the things I always try to do when I'm working with with men is to um and you touched on this, you know, kind of setting your goals. I kind of call them gold standards. What are your gold standards for 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 this process? You know, what do you want to get out of this? If if you put everything aside, because you know, and I always try to drive it as you are the only person on the planet. There is nothing else around you now. What is going to be that gold standard? Who do you want to be? If there is no time, there's nothing, which is actually true. A lot of the things that we have externally outside of us are bonuses. Because if all of a sudden all of these things are to disappear, you are still left with you. And when you wake up in the morning until the time that you go to bed, you are with you. So really kind of getting people to to look at those gold standards and then you know, getting them to kind of start to 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 work through it, um, step by step, stage by stage, whatever it is. And I loved what you said about about holding people accountable. That's one of the things that I often say to to, to people. You know, right at the beginning, even I think before we even start working <laughs> around the, the discovery call stage, because one of the things I'd like to do, and and I say this to people, and I'm sure you know you you sound very similar to me. And a lot of the things that you said really kind of mirrors a lot of how I like to work too. Um, is I'm very very kind, very loving, but I do have a non bullshit approach, because my goal is I want you to succeed. You know, one of the gifts that I have been given is the ability to see the best version of the person. I see the best version of you. I can see the best version. As soon as I meet somebody, I can always see that best version. Even if afterwards they open their mouths and I'm like, oh, no. I can still see that. And as if that's a gift or a curse. But what I always try to do is to bring that gold standard to life, push them a little bit past that, because often or not people think small, and then help them to, to reach that but with the clarity and the openness that they can they can see you know the absolute best version of themselves and one of the things i like that you you touched on here which then kind of brings us on to uh, to your your final pillar around mindset you talked about lifestyle changes and mindset which in coaching in what you're trying to do and what i'm trying to do and something i always bang on to people even the people that are listening i always say to them Unless you think about this as a lifestyle change, nothing will ever change. My wife said it to me once. I was really, really struggling and I was and I was really hesitant in getting out of my comfort zone around something. I was being really stubborn and she said to me, listen, Alex, my wife is, she's great because she's a non-bullshit. <laughs> she called me out. She said, listen, nothing changes if nothing changes. And it was a penny drop moment for me because I went, shit, that's true. And I remember one of my mentors said to me, listen, what's the worst that can happen? You can either go full out on this or you can give it a go and see what happens. Worst case scenario, if it doesn't change anything, go back to the old way that you were living. And when you're talking about lifestyle changing, mindset, as I was reading kind of your four pillars and you and, I, and the last little line was lifestyle changes and it went into mindset. How connected are those two? Because for me, 
If you cannot change the mind, because we are a mind-body-spirit complex, this is what we are. This is what this vessel is. If you cannot change the the mind, which is the, the most powerful machine that we have, do you agree that all the above have no no meaning? It's pretty much worthless? Yeah. Yeah, I, 100%. It's the single biggest missing component in most efforts at transformation whether they be to do with your physique your personality therapy uh, professional change you know uh, anything like that i think mindset is the biggest uh, missing component and i also think it's a word that can get thrown around sometimes by by you know a number of people in the space but what mindset means for me is the cognitive thought that drives your behavior, right? It's essentially how you think and how you feel. So pillar three, what what pillar three essentially does is gets your habits, your automatic patterns of behavior, changing the way you you act. What mindset does is it goes a level deeper than that Mm. and it starts to change the way you think and feel about yourself, right? And the way in which I, I tackle this is, if we want to change something, we'd have to have a vision of where we're going, right? So let's say you're, let's say you're, um, you're overweight and you're a workaholic and an alcoholic, right? We have to have a vision of a athletic version of you that drinks in measure and has a clear work-life boundary in place. Now that starts to form the vision, but we also have to link that to all of the things that you value. So how does achieving that help with uh, you being a better father? How does achieving that help with you being a better husband? How does achieving that help with you being a, um, uh, you know, better at your job? So we're starting to make those neural connections because we know from a, a neuroplasticity perspective, those neurons that fire together, wire together. But again, if we only do this once, it's like going to the gym, right? You do a bicep curl and you, th- and you come out of the session, you think, oh, go on, you know, my biceps feel massive, right? But you haven't actually grown that much. It's only by going, you know, year after year that your biceps start to grow right and so mindset is the same it's not even year after year but week after week mindset is the same in that we have to continually reinforce those new thoughts and attach new feelings to them and if we can do that and amplify those feelings such that you feel more linked and you understand you feel more inspired to become this new version of you than you do the old then you will move into, step into that new version of yourself and your self-identity, which is just how you personally view yourself, your self-identity will shift. There's a great book called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. He talks about this. And the the general thesis is um, when you, he was a plastic surgeon turned psychologist and those clients of his that had already mentally rehearsed how they were going to act when they physically changed were those people that shifted and those clients that just kind of wanted to turn up, get the, the box job done, and, the, and then kind of thought that that would solve all of their issues, they didn't kind of mentally rehearse who they were going to become. They didn't have the associated thoughts and feelings to that new version. So their self-identity didn't change, right? Mm. And they weren't, they weren't any happier after having the surgery. Mm. So I think, you know, the, the mindset component, the biggest single uh, determinant factor in any transformation, transformation is just a posh word for change, right? Mm. Is self-identity. And the way I kind of tackle that is vision, values, mm. get rid of any self-limiting beliefs, and then amplify the emotion so that the new self-identity becomes more powerful than the old one. Mm, I love that. 
And how how can somebody, again, just simply if they wanted to just every day just start to tackle that, you know, as kind of as they've been listening to us, they understand, okay, movement, exercise, I love that. I can start to kind of introduce this. I can look into nutrition a little bit more and, you know, change the way that I'm feeling, kind of increasing my energy levels, starting to get a good understanding about high performance and creating that into, into a lifestyle. And this is why I, I said, I really love what you do about the kind of the 12 weeks into something you can transform into 12 years. Um, around the mindset, I think, and you, you probably um, understand this yourself. I know this can be a tough one for people because although we get out of bed and we face ourselves, we do have to face external factors like people, places, things. So the things that we can't control, <laughs> which are very easy and very quick to derail when we get out of bed and we go, right, today's going to be an amazing day. Thank you so much for another day. I'm alive. Let's go kick it. And then you get in the car, you drive two minutes down the road and some guy cuts you up and then you start effing and blinding and, you know, using the C word like it's, you know, like it's, um, yeah, you know, in, in, a, in a very flowery way. And that can derail because, as you know, everything that we speak out into the world reflects back on us. You know, it's that kind of that energy exchange. What steps can people take to just start to to make tweaks, you know, just little things that can help them to, you know, to really get a good benefit um, around mindset changing? I think the the kind of process that i outlined there like define your vision and your values start to understand self-limiting beliefs and then emotionally connect like that's a process in itself you know that's the fundamental route that i take people on to change their mindset but i think the one fundamental tip i'd I'd give people anyone trying to just change the the way they think and act right um actions follow thoughts and then behaviors link to action i would i would say focus on what you can control and not what you can't right which is just sometimes it's easier said than done someone cuts you up and you just want to go are you absolutely you know see next tuesday and it's frustrating right but the ability to drop that and not let that linger not let that derail you because it's not something you can control right focus on the things you can control because you've only got you know i like to explain it as 100 units of energy if you spend an inordinate amount of energy, mental energy in May, right? That's what we're talking about here. Mm. Trying to focus on things that you can't control. What's left over is a very small amount of energy on the things that you actually can, right? And Byron Katie said this well. She's like, most of the world's suffering comes from, not from, you know, our, 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 our experience of reality. It's our perception of reality, mm. right? Reality is not good or bad. It's just is. It's mm. how we perceive it in that moment. And for me, the single biggest sort of helpful factor is I just focus on as much as possible. And, and by, you know, I'm certainly not perfect. I get this wrong uh, a fair amount of the time. Yeah. But I try myself back to just thinking, like, what can I control? What's outside of my control? And that's a great litmus test, mm. I think, to just starting to change your mindset. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that because it, is, it goes quite well with the, um, a saying that I, I've learned, control what you can, what you cannot control, accept which kind of ties in perfectly with what you just said there. And I was like, oh, there you go. You get it. It's, it's And it's so true. You know, you you talked about the, the energy that we expend around things that um, are so unnecessary. And I often try to say to people, especially 
you know, when it comes down to to mindset is make love, kindness, compassion, you know, all of these things free. Give them out. Give it out for free as much as you possibly can. But make the rest, fear, ego, resentment, anger, frustration, anything else, make that stuff expensive. So expensive that most people can't afford to pay for it. And then, you know, and then I kind of just go on into explaining that, you know, because that's the energy that you want to save, you know, often or not, especially I love that you mentioned earlier around boundaries. Boundaries is something that for me, I really struggled with, you know, I had barriers, you know, you, you can't come near me, but I didn't have any form of healthy boundaries, you know, that allowed me to just express myself freely in who I want to be, but being able to kind of set clear boundaries in place so that if you cross that, then I'm going to have to reinforce them. You know, I knew nothing about those and, and it really, really helped me to save my energy. I was a massive people pleaser, constantly allowing people to permeate, you know, my energy or you get those kind of energy vampires, especially as you you talked about in a corporate environment as well. I'm sure that, you, you know, you may have seen that yourself. And there is a lot of that. And that really helped me to not only kind of just save my energy, but also it helped me to. To be very efficient in how I kind of expend you know, or spend my energy, you know, in a, in a day-to-day basis, which then in turn, I guess, allowed me to, to spend that with my family, my loved ones, friends, family, you know, to be able to use that for myself more importantly, because you, you touched on, you know, some of the people that you work with running on an empty cup. That's something that I've, you know, we, we see so often and we're seeing it more and more and more. How do we, and I know that we do this, you know, with, you know, in, in kind of our profession and helping people to, to refill that cup, but what's your, your advice on, which I know I, I kind of sort of touched on, but I'd love to get your, your perspective on this and what's been your advice on how people can kind of save their energy, you know, how people can become more efficient in, in what they're doing in mind, in body. And in, in in spirit, is is there something kind of different that you do? What's how do you do you sort of tackle and, and advise that for the listeners? I think it's bringing together everything that we've kind of talked through, right? As a as a system, right? So I kind of uh, I talk about the four pillars of the transformation as a lifestyle system. So it's like if you try and do every, so if I if I try and get a client to do what they'll be doing in week thirteen, in week one they'll most probably fall over and they say, it's just too much, too hard, or mm. like, I can't see the benefit, I'm not going to do it, mm. right? Whereas if we can approach something uh, like lifestyle change, but from a principle of Kaizen, which is just iterative improvement. So I kind of, uh, the, the way that transpires with my coaching is just focus on two to three things each week. And we'll just focus exclusively on those. We won't focus on anything else. Once we've got those, we don't move backwards. We only move forwards. Right. So we start to layer on new things. And collectively, when you're doing things from a physical, a mental, an emotional, a spiritual, energetic, if you don't like the word spiritual right, perspective, then that starts to increase the amount of energy that you have, free energy that you've got. Whether that means you're becoming more productive, more efficient, whether that means that you've got more energy left over for important things like family, you know, case in point, right? 
do I want to finish at uh, 6.30, go back knackered, um, not have time to spend with my son and just, you know, kind of miss out on seeing him? Or do I want to finish at, you know, maybe quarter to six, go back, have saved enough energy, right, to make sure that I can run around with him, play with him, I can put him to bed and I can enjoy that time. Only 45 minutes time difference. You know, how, where can I sort of save that? Is there certain things that I cannot do? Is there, do I need to get up earlier? Right. Do I need to push back on some meetings? But it's prioritizing your day and everything that you do within it so that it aligns to your values so that you're not wasting energy on anything that isn't important to you. Mm, yeah, no, perfect. And it's, and, and I love what you said there because when I called BS, you know, around when people say, oh, I don't have enough time. Well, actually, we all get 24 hours, but it's the small little adjustments that we make that makes the huge difference between success and what we call kind of failure. I'd sort of look at it as more suffering. Um, but listen, I, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your knowledge, sharing, you know, everything that, that you are and, and that you do. Where can people find you? How can they connect with you, Alex? Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure coming on to speak to you, Alex. So likewise, thanks very much for having us on. Um, anyone that's sort of interested in finding out a little bit more about what I do, the best place is, is LinkedIn. Um, I'll, uh, I'll sort of send my, my LinkedIn profile uh, link. Um, you can find out some, some more information about the four pillars of transformation on LinkedIn uh, under the featured section. Uh, and you can see some um, just some client reflections on their thoughts about how adopting it has helped them. Yeah, fantastic. And there are some great videos on there. I've watched them myself. I highly recommend you connecting with Alex. I will put the, the link below as well for your for your profile so people can go on there. They can connect with you directly and learn more. Thank you so much once again. Guys, as always, it's amazing to have you part of this community. Thank you so much for, for listening. Definitely go in and connect with, with Alex. Learn more about what he does and how he can potentially help you. Have an amazing day, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. And as always, be great, be fantastic, and be absolutely phenomenal today. And I will speak to you again very soon. Take care.